0: My name is Vida, Sister Prince, and today is Monday, August thirtieth, 1993, and I am interviewing Karen Skender on her life for the oral history project Race and Memory in St. Louis. This is my independent study supported by the Missouri Historical
1: Society. I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of questions you <laughs> <have>. <laughs> All right, well I don't have to listen to myself, do I? <laughs> I no, you don't. Summer. But you're going to sound better on the tape, than <laughs> you think.
0: Um, I doubt that. But it took me a number of years. Uh, I just want to ascertain that you um, are 51? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were born uh, December 6, 1941. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and you were born in St. Louis. I was born in St. Louis. Tell me. just. I'd like to know about your family when you were little. Who lived in your house
1: growing up? uh, My mother and father and my sister who is four and a half years younger than I am. And uh, I don't remember my earliest life. (laughs) My sister's very good at at remembering things that sometimes I don't think happened, but I'm not as good as she is. I was born in Jewish Hospital, and my parents and I lived on Tennessee in an apartment uh, where the Sears-on-Grand parking lot uh, sits now. Mm -hmm. And when I was three, my parents bought a, a bungalow on Pernod, at 5023 Pernod. Where is that? Uh, it's roughly five or six blocks, I'm trying to get my directions, west of Kings Highway and five or six blocks north of Chippewa, mm-hmm. so it's in that that area. I don't know what neighborhood that's now called, <laughs> uh, and um, it was an all-white neighborhood. Uh, but my father was a merchant, self-own, owned his own business, uh, and owned a store in a black neighborhood, an all-black neighborhood. And um, I went to Canard Elementary School from kindergarten through eighth grade, and. Um, which is now one of the magnet schools. Mm-hmm. And I have not been back in the building that I remember since the time I graduated <laughs> um. from high school. Uh, I went to Southwest High School for four years and graduated from there and graduated in 1959. Uh, in the time frame that I was there, it was an all-white school. Um, my sister is four and a half years younger and by the time she started, she went to high school it was integrated uh, before she graduated. Um,
0: what did your father
1: do? My, that's, that's interesting. When I started high school you had to fill out these forms at mm-hmm. your father's occupation and I came home and I told my, I asked my mother, I said, mother what do I put down? Because my dad owned a salvage store. And it was called Geek Appliance Company. Geek? Geek. Geek. G-I-E-C-K. That's That's my maiden name. name. And uh, it was called Geek Appliance Store. It was on Garrison Avenue. And as a child, I remember we used to go in the evenings to check on the status of the the building, to make sure everything was locked, and on Saturday evenings we would go back, and on Sunday afternoons we would go. And um, so as far as race was concerned, I was exposed to the black community. And um, there was a black church across diagonally from where my dad's store was. But anyway, back back to my original story, um, I went home and I asked my mother, I said, Mother, what do I put down? I said, do I put down junk dealer? And she said, no, just put self-employed merchant. Self-employed merchant. <laughs> uh, but my dad's store was a wonderful place. Uh, it was a junk store, basically. He bought salvage um, from canned goods to furniture to clothing to appliances to whatever. He bought railroad salvage and truck company salvage and um, thing, uh, businesses had had fires uh, and he would buy the merchandise and what was salvageable. And so I grew up eating out of cans that didn't have labels and it used to be real interesting because mother would open up cans and we never knew what we were going to have for dinner, but, um, so anyway, that's um, That must have been yeah, It was ind- your table. <laughs> yeah, it was, indented dented cans and you used to not ever find dented cans in the grocery stores, right. but all at right. my dad's store they were all dented and so, you know, I learned early on Dense and cans don't make a bit of difference well, was as there long any, as. It, any
0: stories you could relate from opening cans at dinner time?
1: That uh, well, just you know, we would open your cans were either the big ones and they were either, they were usually fruit of some kind, but the smaller cans, you never know knew if you were opening up vegetables or fruit or whatever, uh-huh. and uh, so sometimes we had like potluck whatever <laughs> 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 happened to be opened up, but we ate a lot of canned vegetables at that time. And So did everyone. Well, yeah, right, there wasn't a lot of frozen food. Later on, my dad did buy um, frozen items. In fact, he bought a a truckload of ice cream one time, and he had to go rent a refrigerator truck to put it in. And he paid 15 cents a gallon and turned around and sold it. And he had moved his store at that point in time, so he wasn't back in that neighborhood. In fact, I think that was all leveled uh, sometime uh, during urban redevelopment where his store was on Garrison. But um, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) he bought ice this cream. ice cream for 15 cents and a gallon. needed, a refrigerator, needed gallon. a refrigerator truck. So they had to turn around and sell it fast, and he sold it to the grocery store that was next door to his store, and, and at that point his store was on Chippewa. And he sold it for 45 cents a gallon, and then that merchant turned around and sold it for 90 cents a gallon, and so, and gave my dad a bad check to pay for mm-hmm. the 45 cents a, a gallon. But that's the type of business that he had, and um, it was one of these places that you walked in, it was just a gold mine as a child, I can remember. I loved to go in and rummage around, because you never knew what you were going to find, it was just wonderful. Did
0: you ever
1: work there with him? Uh, I used to go in in the summer times, and I would bag groceries and you know, stuff for him, and... Uh, and so we, I did spend time at the store and in the neighborhood on Garrison. on Garrison Avenue and I think in that way I was different than, I didn't know anyone else who had that type of contact. And uh, I can remember uh, there was a rib place next door that was just the most fantastic rib place and, and my dad used to bring it home, or we would go there. If we were there on a Sunday, we would go in and have, have ribs uh, in the restaurant. And um, I've never had ribs that good since then. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I can remember my dad would bring home the St. Louis American and whatever other black newspaper there was. The and the newspaper. Yeah. And, and I mean, he would bring these home occasionally. In the newspaper. Um, I can remember reading that newspaper, and it was totally different than the, the when my folks subscribed to the Globe, and um, How it I can, well, it, it was very interesting because it related that this person had stabbed this person and this person, there was this domestic violence and this kind of thing. And I thought, now why isn't that in the globe? You know, you didn't hear about this going. And I thought, you know, why? The newspapers aren't giving me, (laughs) um, you know, what's going on. And I thought, so as a child, I thought that was strange. You know, do you trust the newspapers? Because I see this one newspaper. And this newspaper, and they don't have any of the same stories in them at all. Were there other and,
0: stories in the, in the American that you didn't see in the other paper besides the standards?
1: I, Well, I mean, it, it was it was geared Did toward... You notice no, not really. I, those were the things that I really noticed because um, it was so different. And I'm sure they covered other issues that were relevant to the St. Louis area, Uh, but I particularly remember those types of things. And this would
0: have probably been in the 40s we're talking This
1: was, uh, uh, yeah, late 40s, early 50s, Uh, and I don't remember when my dad moved his store. I can remember my dad had a man, a black man, by the name of Tiny, that was his nickname and he weighed about 450 pounds <laughs> and um, I can remember him, he, I can remember him moving heavy things for my dad and he moved in my mother's refrigerator and a freezer, that a big huge chest freezer that she had. and. Um, then having dinner in our home. And he used to have to sit on two chairs <laughs> at the dining table. And it was, um, so, That those are my childhood memories of, I remember one time. And
0: sometimes, somehow they're touching you right now,
1: aren't no, they? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just this way. I do this all the time, <laughs> so you just have to Ignore that it's part. okay? Of me. Oh yeah, Do you want yeah. To no, no, I'm fine. Um, I think I loved the. There was a, a black church. I don't. I think it was African Methodist Episcopal, diagonally across uh, from my dad's store. And I used to love to go on Sundays. Doesn't bother me to talk with, but if you know. No, I, no, it's it's
0: okay.
1: I get. Wavery. <laughs> That's, um, I can remember listening to the music. I never went in the church, but they used to have services long into the afternoons. I
0: think I interrupted when you were talking. Okay, when, when
1: was. at the, this this black church AME. that was A.M.E. The, do you remember it? It was across the street from my dad's store. Was a park. Well, it was a park. It was a a grassy field a
0: garrison. on garrison
1: and west of that i guess it was west was the police station uh and i don't remember which okay. which district it was and then um there were some some other buildings there was an alley next to my dad's store and then there were a, a few more businesses over here and then which doesn't mean anything to you on stage. <laughs> But diagonally across from where my dad's store was, this this African Methodist Episcopal Church, I think that's what denomination it was, and I used to love to listen to the music, and you could hear it, you know, outside. You didn't have to go in to hear it, and um, I have always loved black gospel much better than, than white gospel, and I think it stems from that experience, being exposed to it as a child um trying to think of anything else that i the only memory i have uh that was negative was um one afternoon i was standing on the street in front of my dad's store and i had a doll in my hands and it was a white doll back then i'm not sure they made black dolls <laughs> so maybe they did for the black community i don't know um and these two little girls and a little boy came out and they wanted my doll and I wouldn't give them to them. And so the one little girl grabbed me by the hair and pulled as hard as she could and I dropped the doll and they took off running with my doll. And that's the only negative remembrance I have of my earliest associations with blacks. Um, you know, I enjoyed going down there and not that I was part of the community. My, my dad and my grandfather were part of the community. How um, could you tell
0: that, Karen?
1: How could I tell? mm mm-hmm. That
0: What? That your dad and your father, your grandfather and your father were part of the community
1: down there? Well, I think they had, they had friends and um, I, I can- uh, what made you feel I, that way? Well, I I just felt you know people were very friendly to them. They were friendly to us when they came in the store, and um, I didn't feel like they were resented for being there because they did provide a service and their their merchandise was less expensive than at your regular stores because it was salvage merchandise and I, I just I just gathered that you know, that there was not a resentment in the community against them, their store. Um, Later on, maybe there was. My grandfather was uh, assaulted several times um, and was robbed. But, you know, I don't remember, um, I don't remember any bitter feelings on their part. and they were in that store until my grandfather was really fairly old, until he was seriously injured in one attack. Okay. And, Is that when they and uh, the neighborhood was being redeveloped, and, and a lot of the businesses had closed. And I th- I don't know. Um, was this part of the You know, I really don't remember uh, exactly, Uh, and and I have not ever gone back to see, you know, how it's changed. I moved away from St. Louis in 1962, and I think a lot of that took place after that time, and I have not ever gone back to, I would imagine the police station is still there, and the church would still be there but I don't think any of the buildings. Um, I remember seeing, you know, the ho- some of the houses that were in very bad shape, and um, being thankful for what I had, and we weren't rich, we weren't poor, poor. But, um, you know, I, I, but I, I think in that way, I'm probably different than the majority of whites growing up In my time frame because I did have that exposure exposure and those connections and um, I really didn't um, you know going to an all-white high school and elementary school I didn't have exposure in that way Um, other than going to football games at the public school stadium and and um, uh, seeing black Young people at those events, but other than that, I really didn't, you know, have social exposure or um, anything like that. Tell
0: me who lived in your neighborhood.
1: Who lived in my neighborhood? Um, was all white, uh, and I can remember people being fearful that the blacks would move into the neighborhood.
0: And we're on Pernod.
1: We're on Pernod, Pernod. and. Uh, on our side of the street, it was single-family homes or duplexes. And on the opposite side of the street, it was all four-family 4, four family flats. Um, corner grocery store. On the other corner was a confectionery. Um, walk to school. Um, walk to Famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just basically stayed in the neighborhood, except when we drove down to my dad's store. Mm-hmm. And um, so those are those are my memories of childhood mm-hmm. that I can remember. <laughs> Tell me about your school. Uh, would would it, would it be a school that you would have wanted your children to go to? Yes, uh, I. I loved it. I I loved all my teachers except for one. Um, My 8th grade teacher I detested. And I always loved school until I got to 8th grade and and it was because of this teacher who was actually crazy. (laughs) She she terrified everyone. Uh, But I can't remember all my teachers' names, but I remember them as being caring and all spinsters, Mm uh, except for one, and, um, the building, I went to summer playground Mm -hmm. at the school that I went to during the year. Um, at, uh, I can remember when I went to Southwest, I went over to Wade school on Van for home economics. Uh, which put me into a little different neighborhood as far as um, which was at that point in time was becoming a mixed neighborhood um, but as far as the school, I love school and, and I liked my teachers and, and uh, I thought it was interesting my next door neighbor uh, her son went to Kennard uh, La- the last two, the previous two years from this year. Uh, and I used to tell them, I said, yes, I went to school there, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> well, what, were That's...
0: You be- what were you beginning to find out about yourself by the time maybe you were 10 yeah. or 12? Uh,
1: well, I, th- I thought I was intelligent. Um, I was very small. I was always the smallest one. Um, I felt safe. I felt secure. Um, you know, I had parents who were happily married, and and. Uh, um,
0: Did you have children to play? Did they come to your yes, house? Yes,
1: yes, yes. I had, um, I had um, two boys that lived on our block that were my buddies from the time I was three years old and through through grade school. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have one friend that I started in kindergarten with, and we went to Washington U together. Uh, So I think that there was a continuity because you went to school with the same kids uh, who lived in your neighborhood and you played with them. Um, I can remember in not so much grade school, but high school, befriending the kids that nobody else wanted to befriend. Even though I, I ran around in a, in a group of, of the more popular kids, I also befriended some of the kids who weren't.
0: How did you do that
1: Kim? Uh, Just being a friend, talking to them, and, and um, hanging out with them sometimes. Uh, some of them were, the kids who were more intelligent, who would be considered a nerd today, <laughs> um, and I—I I don't consider myself super super intelligent, but you know I—I'm above average in intelligence, and so King. I, <laughs> so yeah. I, you know, I, I hung around in two different. Environments because a lot of my girlfriends were the cheerleaders the, um, and and the, the guys were football players and, and that but um, I tried out but I never made <laughs> <laughs> that
0: takes uh, courage.
1: But um, don't you think? Oh yeah, yeah. To but I was active leave, in. Be um, your
0: popular group too. Yeah, uh, go to, to go. Yeah,
1: I I don't know. I always had an empathy for the for the and and the kids who weren't particularly good looking. Um, I don't know, I just had an empathy for the underdog. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what did the other parents on your blog, your, your other your friends' uh, parents, your father, what did they do? What kind of work did they, did they do? Um,
1: I, actually, I don't remember. I think my dad was the only one who was, self-employed that I remember, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure who, (laughs) I know we had a, they work for companies in the Mm -hmm. city and um, we had one neighbor who was, he and his wife never had children and he was a race walker and he used to walk, to work downtown Uh every day and walk. Back home every night. And um, he had a car, but he never drove. (laughs) And he, well, actually, he didn't have a car until his wife died. And then he bought a car so he could go to the cemetery. (laughs) And your father had a car? And my dad had a car. My dad had a truck because of the business. So we had a car and a truck. And my grandparents, my paternal grandparents, lived up the street from us. They lived on the same block. And so I had that contact, yes. constant contact with my paternal grandparents. Um, the, is this the, I preferred my maternal grandparents, whom I didn't see as often. And maybe that's. But my my uh, my grandfather was all he did was work. He worked from sunup to sundown with your father. With my dad, and. My dad always worked. And I thought it was interesting when I left home and um, and then when my sister left home, my dad changed from working all the time. To, he and my mother went out and they went to the movies and they'd never done that when I, I mean it was a big occasion for us to go to steak and shake. That was our time to go out for dinner and a lot of times after church we'd go to Steak and Shake and that was our biggie. <laughs> and so we d- uh, we didn't my parents didn't socialize a lot the only socialization they had was through our church in which we were we were active in um, and
0: was it money?
1: Was it money? Yes. To, to or, get
0: money? You no, know, was it money that that was the reason that you didn't go many places or was it because probably he was working.
1: Probably partly money and, and but more so because he worked uh, you know, he worked all day Saturday and on Sundays we went down to the store and and uh, after we went to Steak and Shake then we drove down to the store to make sure it was in that it was you know, hadn't been broken into uh, that every the lights were working and, and everything to to get it ready for Monday morning and sometimes, you know, we and usually when my dad worked I rummaged mm-hmm. through I mean uh, have you ever been into Flens out in the Central West End where you can just barely walk through No. It's it's a uh, an architectural antique type. Place that has all kinds of doors and windows and iron gates and that kind of stuff, and it's it's like you have there's a little path through it, and a lot of my dad's store in a lot of cases was like that, back past the point where it had the canned goods and stuff. Were
0: you a dreamer as a child? Did you have? um,
1: Did I have dreams? Not at night.
0: Not really. Oh, goals
1: and no, um,
0: with all these sort of different kinds of things that you were able to see in the store and, and I mean did you make-believe I think I suppose is the word. Did you make up
1: stories? No. No. I can remember. No, I didn't. <laughs> um, I never read fiction. I never read, you know, to to get you into that, that mode. No, I always read biographies. Um, History, I loved history. Uh, so no, I don't. No, I don't think I was a dreamer. What
0: What did you hear uh, <coughs> from your father or your mother that uh, had to do with with people of another color? In other words, his store was there. His, he mm-hmm. spent his time <coughs> with them. You think he he was part of he was part of the community mm-hmm. uh, what did he say when he came home? Was there any talk of, of uh, his
1: customers and- uh, not a whole lot that I remember i I do remember my grandfather my grandfather was uh, he was funny in a way and i can I can remember him commenting about. Uh, all the starch he sold.
0: Starch he sold?
1: No, the starch that he sold. The starch
0: Okay, that he sold.
1: And he told me that the black women bought starch and ate it as a contraceptive. And that blew my mind (laughs) I thought, I just can't imagine anybody eating starch. But I gathered that this was something, you know, he eventually asked you know, he figured they couldn't be uh, starching them in his shirts,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and he, asked and, he asked, and they
1: told him that they that they ate starch uh, in an attempt to not become pregnant. What and whether that's, you know, I mean, he would come up with these off the wall comments, um, and I don't remember my dad saying those things, but my grandfather did, and. Uh, I, you know, I took it as a gospel truth. I where did you
0: all shop? Was,
1: where did we shop? Well, a, what we could get from my dad's store came from there. <coughs> there was a market on the corner of the block that we lived in. It was called Rex Market. Oh, I can remember the, there were two brothers that owned it, and they had, um, they cut their own meat. They had wonderful meat. And so all of our meat and everything came from there. Uh, but basically, and, and our fresh produce came from there. My dad never got fresh produce because he didn't have the capacity to to store it and, and keep it. And so uh, we had our milk delivered.
0: And the clothes.
1: Clothes, my mother made all my clothes. I can remember one Easter my dad gave her $30 and she was to make um, my sister and myself and, my, and herself a dress for Easter and they, they, that was to pay for all of our. And I was always very, very small. And back then they didn't sell size zeros and twos and fours and I was probably about a size two. Now you want to make yeah, sure yeah. It's, on.
0: It, well, it's on. It's on. Um, it's. It's just picking uh, up.
1: You have
0: to wake up. Yeah, it's fine. now. Okay. a um, starchy dress.
1: I, I can remember um, my mother made my clothes from the time I was little. Did you like? Little. That? Yeah, I used to have. We used to go to the store and look at the pattern books, and um, as, as I. When they built the famous store, on the Southtown famous store, that was within walking distance. And I used to go down there and look at things and my mother and I, my mother would copy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could pick out things. So I could pick out things that I liked and she would make them for me. And my dad sometimes got material. As a little girl, my dresses and things were made out of flower sacks and things that came from, from the store. Uh, my grandmother would wash them, and, and uh, so. Were they
0: flowered or something? What?
1: They, they had patterns on them. They yeah. used to have patterns on them, little prints, and, and uh, so I wore flower sack dresses when I was little. And then I graduated to store-bought material, <laughs> store-bought material. <laughs> And when I was in high school, I used to have, um, I used to, I, well, I used to like to design clothes, and I used to draw clothing uh, when I was a teenager. And so my mother, we would go and try to find, we would get, get a pattern, and, and back in those days, they were, you know, you could, the ball gowns and things. So many of my formals that I wore to high school and college dances, my mother made, but they were very unusual because they were... Uh, they were more designer than uh, something you would go and buy off the rack. Story. I do remember my senior prom, I did go and buy a dress, and um, it was the only dress I ever remember buying, and I don't know, I have a product of my upbringing, I guess, I never pay full price for anything. It's against my religion to pay full price for anything. <laughs> and I figure, I don't, I, I, the only dress I've ever paid full price for was, um, I bought a dress from my first husband's memorial service after he died, and I had to have a dress. <laughs> and that's the only one I can ever remember paying full price for. and so. I don't know if that's because of my upbringing that I, it's just, it's foreign to me to pay full price for anything. It just, uh, you know, I'll go and rummage through the, the baskets where they have the really dented cans and things, even today at the store or, or boxes that are, uh, you know, bent or mm-hmm. slightly cracked or something if it isn't, if it isn't something that, that These I see would be It's
0: probably like a piece of home.
1: Yeah, it is, and and I I'm sure it's because that's the way I sure. I was brought up. But um, that's that's my memories about clothing. I just we didn't go to the store to buy clothes.
0: <laughs> um, let's go back to something you said before. Uh, the people in your neighborhood were concerned that blacks were going to move in. Mm-hmm. W- where, where are we now in the
1: 50s? maybe? Probably, yeah, I think so. Uh, when I was in high school, I you can remember. People being, uh, you know, every time a house would go on sale and having the apartments across the, the four family flats across the street, um, I, I, can, I can remember people holding their breath when one changed tenants that, um, that a black family wouldn't move in. And um, I don't ever remember any moving in to our area. But, uh, but I can remember people, you know, thinking that everything was encroaching on their neighborhoods and they didn't want that. Um, My mother lives in St. Louis Hills now and it can be a very racist neighborhood. It's just, I, there's one incident I I would have really, I would have had trouble not hitting the one. They have the concerts, the the Compton Heights concert band pe- plays in the summer on Sunday nights in, in Francis Park. And there's um uh f- my son goes to Word of Life Lutheran School and there's a family in Word that have Word of Life. It's a it's a Donovan and Eichelberger and Jameson and Eichelberger. And there is a family there who takes in foster children for Lutheran Family and Children Services. Generally, they have black children, that they babies. They they specialize in babies, and of course, our daughter is is black. And this was after a Fourth of July concert last year, not this year, last year. And. This couple was in the park listening to the concert with this little black baby. And my daughter was running around. And that next week, this woman came and rang my mother's doorbell, and she was trying to get a petition up to get the concert stopped because it was bringing in a bad element. (laughs) And I said, Mother, did you tell her off? And she said, No, I just told her I wouldn't sign it. And I said, "Well, it's a good thing I wasn't here because I would have went into her with both feet so flying." Yeah, it was my child. They were, but uh, just in general, they thought yes. that because
0: the constant,
1: right? And I thought, you know, Something. this is really terrible, and and just, you know, I know it's there, and uh, my mother's next door neighbor, I'm sure, was appalled when my mother and father moved in that house, and. Um, Jenny was little she was a toddler and uh, I'm sure that she was just appalled plus my dad had a truck which was another no-no <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean it's it's not just it's it's so um, you know, this woman is just appalled that anybody moves into the neighborhood with a truck with a pickup truck but so it's more—it's th- more than just blacks. It's—it's it's an attitude toward someone that they consider a lesser person than they are. Mm-hmm. And um, so, uh, you know, I see it from that standpoint. The neighborhood we live in is very mixed, and we chose it because of that. Uh, and you live on. Crittenden. We live on Crittenden, which is. One block north of Arsenal, and four houses east of Grand. And so you're down so in, you're the in the
0: city. we're
1: farther east in the city. Yeah, we're we're in basically there. right in. The, we're right off of Grand Avenue, oh. across from Targrove Park. Okay. Uh, very mixed neighborhood. We have um, you name it. We have it. <laughs> uh, well, you're <laughs> into in the Asian. It's yeah. Uh, now on our block, we. Don't have. Uh, there are no Asians right now living mm-hmm. on our block. Um, there are on Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are several of them.
0: There's a lot of stores right
1: there on, on the Arsenal. On, on, on Grand. Grand. Yes. I, yes. I it's a wonderful yes. neighborhood now. Yes. Yeah. But it's it's done that since we've been there. Yes. The King and I was there when we moved in. Um, the Thai restaurant. The Thai restaurant, and there was a Greek restaurant. Um, But most of the businesses had gone out of business, closed their doors, um, and just in the last five to six years, it has just blossomed. It's wonderful.
0: It's an international international grocery grocery store,
1: I believe. Right. Well, there's an Asian foods market, there's a Middle Eastern market, there used to be a Jamaican market. Um, There's all kinds of restaurants. It's just a real mixed bag and it's just really great. And no really fear. Great. No, I'm not afraid. Although <laughs> one, one the, the young man that lives across the street from us was driving home about one o'clock in the morning coming up Pestalozzi and s- rather than a drive-by shooting, he was driving by and somebody ran off their porch at Michigan and Pestalozzi and shot at him. And so you know we see this police activity at night, but I don't. I don't feel afraid to live there. Uh, I am. My mother is probably more paranoid than I am.
0: About you or her? No, about
1: her. uh, Her neighborhood. But I think that's a a product of age and. She's um,
0: paranoid about blacks or. No, just about just about
1: crime and and. and she has a house that anybody can walk in her windows. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this these ranch type houses. Uh, but she, I tease her because she, if I walk out the door, she's locking it behind me. If I'm covered right back in, and she forgets. But she it's just automatically locks the doors. And it doesn't make any difference.
0: It's all over today.
1: Oh, I know that. I have and, and it yeah. just happened
0: uh, right. not too far from me. Um, yeah.
1: But as far as, I feel very safe in my neighborhood. Uh-huh. We walk up. They they have put in high-powered lights up Grand Avenue. It's like <laughs> daylight yeah. in, until, you know, all night long. But, um...
0: Back, back to the south side for a minute, uh, mm-hmm. where your mom is. Uh, when I interview in the black community and I ask them where they're comfortable, uh, where they feel at home, mm-hmm. uh, where they Prefer not to go or do not go. Mm-hmm. And they often say the South Side. South
1: Side. And they're
0: afraid to go on the right. South Side, and the South Side is afraid to have them come in. Right. So they're <coughs> afraid of each other.
1: Yeah. Now I drive anywhere. It doesn't make me any difference. Uh, my mother just cringes. I mean, I'll drive up through North St. Louis, and, and she just Comes unglued if she knows I'm doing it. And I, you know, doesn't bother me. Uh, I've never felt threatened. Um, I lock my doors when I get in my car, but I do that anyway, mm-hmm. no matter where I'm driving. And uh, I, I have no. Um, you know, I I think I always grew up. My my dad and my grandfather, you know, always instilled in me that there are good black people they are good there are good black people there are bad black people there are good white people and there are bad, black, uh, bad bad white people and that you know i never had a stereotypical image of anybody because you know i i talked to people who would come into my dad's store and they were perfectly nice and and you know did i think the thing that I I remember some of the housing that was very substandard, you know, from the outside. Mm-hmm. And I probably felt sorry for them because I had a nice house to live in mm-hmm. and um but that's as far as, as stereotypical notions I never had those.
0: Karen, tell me tell me the you 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 left here in 1962, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I've got it down here. I don't. I think I've got it straight. You moved to you California were to John mm-hmm.
1: Pazdera.
0: Pazdera, uh, and you moved to California. Yes. You moved to Arkansas.
1: Then we moved to Arkansas
0: in '63. Then you moved to Kansas. Mm-hmm. Then Wichita you moved to Rolla
1: Yes. For ten years.
0: Then yes. you went to Germany. Yes. Then you went to Marietta, Georgia. Yes. Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And you returned to St. Louis in 1986. I have two questions. When did John pass away? In 1974.
1: 1974. He, I was 32 years old.
0: And he was, where were you living? In Rolla. In Rolla, all
1: right. He actually died in Barnes Hospital, but yes. we were residents of Rolla at the time.
0: And, uh, <coughs> you ha- you, um, married? Dan. Dan Skender. Mm-hmm. What,
1: In October, 1976. 76,
0: all right. October 9th. Okay, so, uh, I see. Yeah. Long time. Uh, <laughs> uh all right. <clears throat> and you have now you have Joshua, you have John,
1: John and James, and James are sons,
0: thirty and twenty eight years
1: old. Right, and one will be twenty nine next month. <laughs> and
0: then you have Joshua Skender, mm-hmm. and you adopted Jennifer.
1: Yes. Now
0: you adopted Jennifer, who is you said a biracial. Child.
1: She is biracial. She uh, had a white in, mother and a black father in Marietta, Georgia. In Marietta, Georgia. <clears throat> in what year? Uh, well, we she was our first foster child, and she was born the third of May, nineteen eighty-three, and we received her as a foster child at the age of three and a half weeks.
0: Okay. Um, would you? Talk to me, if you will, about the circumstances that brought about
1: getting into
0: getting that. into
1: that, and that you well, having ended a, up, okay, having a, a biological child who was basically going to be an only child because his older brothers were finishing high school and going off to college, and I love children and I thought, you know, these guys are leaving and I've got this little guy, and there really weren't a lot of children his age. I mean, there weren't babies. Uh, When we moved into our neighborhood in Marietta, which was in, um, we moved back to the United States when Joshua was five months old. I mean, five weeks old. Mm -hmm. And so there weren't a lot of babies in it. There were older children and elementary age children, but there weren't any little ones and so by the time he got to be four, three, three to four I thought you know his, both of his brothers were gone uh, from home and I thought you know I really would like to do this and so I asked my husband what he thought and he he was a little reluctant <laughs> and but I twisted his arm and so, w- when we applied to be foster parents, we told them that we preferred a child between zero and six, we wanted a, you know, in the age range that Josh was. And it didn't make any difference, it was a boy or a girl, didn't make any difference what, whether it was black or white or green or purple or whatever, uh, which was a little... They were a little. I, I don't know what word to use. That's unusual. In Marietta, Georgia. Yeah,
0: you brought the subject up to them. They right. didn't ask you.
1: No, no. We just when you know you you when you fill out the forms, you have a preference. You know w- what kind of child will you take? What
0: gender preference was on
1: there? Right, gender preference was on Religious there. Religious preference. Uh, no, not really. Um, it was age. Gender, um, race, and I don't know that. I don't know that race was even on there. I think we just put on there that we would accept a child who was non-white. Um, and so we received a call on. We had just been approved as foster parents.
0: Excuse me, but. Uh, when you said they were a little bit surprised, how did they show their surprise?
1: Well, they, they explained to us that um, the state policy was that once a child was old enough to know the difference, they would not allow a white family to have a black child. And so roughly from the age of two and over, they would not give a black child to a white family to care for, mm-hmm. and that was just their policy. And we told them, you know, we we we're part of, we're a military family, and we you know we have friends who are black, and so you know we're willing to take a child, and. Um, When we got Jennifer, they told us that they didn't have another family that would take her. That if we wouldn't take her, they would have to send her to another county that had black foster parents. And whether they had no black foster parents in that county, that county was predominantly white. It was Cobb County, it was predominantly white, although the subdivision we lived in had a couple of black, affluent black families. Um, who had a swimming pool. I didn't have one, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, my one. But, um, so when we got her, they told us that, uh, well, they called us on a Friday and it happened to be Memorial Day weekend. And they said, we are getting a baby. We don't know if it's a girl or a boy, but you know, you've put down, doesn't make any difference. And she's, you know, this child is three weeks old and we do know that it is a biracial child and so we said that's fine you know i called dan i said i'll be gone when you get home because i'm going to pick up this kid (laughs) and when we got her we thought we were going to have her for the weekend and so on we brought her home and and she was this cute little curly headed (laughs) soft little curls uh, baby and she was very tiny she weighed about five pounds when we got her at three weeks so she had been a preemie and um, so on Tuesday morning I called and I said what time do you want me to bring her back and they said no you keep her and what did you name her and we said We didn't know we were supposed to name her. And so for six weeks she was baby girl. She had no name. I'm sure she had been privately adopted by a white couple in South Georgia who were not told that there was a possibility that the father was black. They assumed they were getting a white baby. And from what we were told, they, she's very light. She's, she's, she is no darker than my husband. My husband's dark complected and and, uh, she's no darker than he is. Uh, And he, Dan has brown hair, or real dark hair and brown eyes. And Jenny has um, brown hair and brown eyes, and so. um,
0: So would, would she have looked white? a white baby. Well,
1: she was, she was very light, Mm -hmm. and, uh, but apparently, from what we were told, this couple started suspecting that she was biracial because of this, every time they washed her hair, you know, they got these little curly-curlies, and it wasn't kinky, it wasn't, you know, but it was very curly, and with her darker complexion, then, your average Caucasian um, that apparently they took her to two or three pediatricians to get an opinion and they were, all the opinions were that this was not a totally white child and they they well they called the lawyer to tell her to come and get this child, that they couldn't keep it. And I, I could understand that living in Georgia and knowing the prejudices there, um, that down in South Georgia it would not have been accepted. But
0: so knowingly and they gave the, this woman this child, the
1: agency? No, it was handled privately. It was handled through an attorney. It was not an oh, agency. And so.
0: But didn't an agency have the child, but they still had the, the No, player.
1: no. The child was placed at birth with this adoptive family. I see. I'm sorry. And, and when, I'm after, something. yeah, after three weeks, they called the attorney and said, we okay. can't keep this child. You have to give it back to the mother. So
0: the attorney So the knew.
1: attorney called the mother.
0: The attorney knew, though.
1: No, the attorney didn't know I don't he know didn't. that he ever saw, you know, whether he actually even saw this child, and the mother apparently the had not
0: anyone Yeah, the, ator-
1: the, the mother apparently did not say anything that there was even a possibility that this was a, could be a black father. Um, and so the attorney called the mother and told her she could have this baby back and then he knew he couldn't legally do that because she had signed away her rights and so he called the family and children's services for our county and told them that he had told this mother she could have this child back but they would have to give this child to her legally and they said you can't do that and so they, they picked up the child, took her back to the office, and allowed the mother to see it. Um, and I was there, because I was there to pick Jenny up from the, from the oh. family services office to take her to our home. But they let the mother see her with, and she had another daughter, a white child whom the grandparents had custody of because the mother had, they had gotten custody of this other child when the mother was drug and alcohol addicted and they had put her into a rehab program. And so I think basically they asked the grandparents if they would take this child, Jennifer, and they said no. Whether they wouldn't take it because she was part black, which I suspect was part of the reason, but it may also have been, had to do with the fact that they wanted to stop this behavior. Uh, And so they wouldn't take this child. And so we got her, and we called her Precious for six weeks, and they finally said, you have to give her a name. (laughs) You just have to give her a name. And so we named her what we would have named her had she been our child, which was Jennifer Diane. And um, and so when my sons heard what we named her and they were away at college, and my one son said, Mom, what kind of honky name is that? this <laughs> When she's adopted by some black family or biracial family, they're going to go, what kind of a honky name is that? Which is funny. <laughs> And I said, well, you know, they can change it. And at the time we got Jennifer, they had some biracial couples that were wanting to adopt a biracial child. I think they had three families registered with the state. And so that we we figured we were only going to have her for a short period of time until they could give her for adoption to one of these couples and the mother decided to the mother decided to fight to get her back and the state fought her to keep her from getting her back because of the legal ramifications of having a child whose parental uh, having a mother whose parental rights she had relinquished of her own accord and uh, uh, it had been in Georgia. I think you have 10 days to change your mind, and so the the state was going under the the legal assumption that if this one was overturned, if this mother got her child back, it would set a precedent mm-hmm. and mess up all adoptions um, for anybody. Basically, that the mother could come back later than that and. And asked again to get the child back, and so she uh, she started legal proceedings to get Jennifer back. But she had basically no home, and no uh, she was working for her mother as a maid, and I think had a room in her mother's home. But. Um, Basically, she wasn't getting paid. And so she had no means of support for this child. And so this drug on for months and months, and the mother disappeared and she'd come back and she'd get a different lawyer and, and, you know, time just kept going on and on. And finally, by the time Jenny was about just before she was 18 months old, I guess. They fin the judge finally told, just said, "You cannot have this child." And you had her all that time. We had her all that time, and uh, I mean, basically, I mean, she was just like our own child, except she didn't drop out of my body.
0: When did, when but, did you decide to that you
1: wanted to keep her? Um, probably as she, as, as time went by, we knew that she would probably never be adopted because there wouldn't be a family that would take her. These couples, these biracial couples wanted a baby. They didn't want an older child. And once they got the mother's rights relinquished, Totally. Then legally, they have to find the father. Try to. And it was a case of multiple people they had to find. And
0: you mean to be sure who. who right,
1: was. right, uh, to to get to to um, get them to relinquish their rights, their parental rights, to actually make this child legally adoptable. And they have to advertise in, the, they advertise in the legal journals, which is, you know, who sees those. But yeah. they have to go through the motions. And so it, it got to the point where we, we were going to have to leave Atlanta and move. Dan was being transferred to Columbus. And we knew we wanted her. I would say by the time she was six months old, we were so attached that, you know, we want to keep this child. And we went, uh, I was active in the League of Women Voters and met a lawyer uh, through that. And she was adopted. And so, you know, I told her, I said, we really would like to adopt this child. And she said, we paid her to research what the precedents would be, what our legal standing would be. <coughs> and she told us we didn't have a leg to stand on, that there was no precedent, uh, that... And so we were very afraid to tell the Family Services uh, Office that we wanted to adopt her because we assumed they would just immediately take her away from us.